What's up, everyone? This is the Nuts and Bolts Podcast, and I'm your host, the one James, here with your lovely co-host, Airball. Hello, everyone. And Michael Kritz, but he'll be out today. And we're here to give you the nuts and bolts of the standard and pioneer formats each and every week for your listening pleasure. Maybe you'll learn a thing or two. Uh, today's going to be more face, based on standard, as there was a few standard tournaments that happened, and we're going to look at what's working and what isn't. But first up, let's go to the upkeep. We're going to talk about some jargon. We're going to talk about what a two-for-one is and a one-for-two. You hear this all the time with different cards in standard, and I'll explain to you what that is right now. It's shorthand for whether or not to pl a play provides net card advantage, or in the case of a one-for-two, card disadvantage. A two-for-one occurs when a player uses one card and the opponent uses or loses two cards. Removing a Graveyard Trespasser, for example, in Standard and Pioneer forces a two-for-one situation since the opponent must discard an additional card to cast the removal spell that targets it or else it will get exiled. Uh, magic is usually a game of resource management and uh, usually the player with more cards than your opponent will win. Uh, there's a little bit of other circumstances where that's not the case, but usually the person with the most cards in general will win the game. Uh, one of the decks that relies on card advantage in the form of killing your opponent while they have cards in hand is a deck like Mono Red, which, you know, is still kind of card advantage, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a relationship <laughs> between cards and tempo and a bunch of other resources, but yeah, I, th I think you've done a good job explaining it. Yeah, so that's your jargon for today, but we're going to move on to our draw step, you know, because that's what happens after the upkeep. And that's where we're going to go into a brief overview on what's working and what isn't from the new Dominaria United standard format. Uh, I'm going to go over a few cards slash decks, and we're going to kind of go back and forth on some things. And then we're going to go to the main phase, which we're actually going to talk about three different tournaments that happened over the weekend and some of the ins and outs and decisions and decks that go along with it. But first up, we're going to talk about what's working. And it's... I don't know if it's obvious or not, but maybe you've played Arena, maybe you haven't, but it's all the black-red X decks, and you put black-red in the, in the deck, and you put whatever other color you want with it, and it's probably going to work. What do you think? Yeah, it's kind of similar to the last standard, where blue-red X dominated because expressive iteration was just so good. Now, black-red is where all the value's at. Um, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, just too good not to play. Uh, and we got a bunch of really good recursive value black cards uh, that are seeing a ton of play in these tournament lists. Yeah, we're going to go over that in just a bit, but if you're playing black-red in your deck, you uh, have a good shot at doing well. Um, next, we're going to talk about, or overview, Esper Midrange. There was a few Esper Midrange that made top cuts in various tournaments, and we're going to go over what those are, but, you know, it's the same wedding announcement, um, Wandering Emperor... Rafine decks that you've seen from last standard. The very hard advantage based, everything's a two for one, as we talked about before in Wedding Announcement, maybe some Graveyard Trespassers, things like that. What do you think about Esper Midrange? Yeah, I think Esper Midrange is in a pretty good spot. Um, again, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Esper was great in the last standard, too. It did lose, you know, stellar cards like Vanishing Verse, but. Um, a lot of Esper's, the big threats that Esper wanted to play were hit by Vanishing Verse anyway. So now you can play your four copies of Ao the Dawn Sky, like uh, the winning list from the MTGO challenge this week, and not feel too bad about it. Yeah, that's, that's something that kind of goes under the radar, is now all of these Junji 
the Midnight Sky and different things like that are being played now, and you're not very afraid of your of your uh, tenacious underdog getting exiled with just a four of removal spell that that deck's playing, right? So, um, Vanishing Verse not being in the format definitely affects it, and in a way makes just these decks even better. <laughs> weirdly enough, yeah. Um, let's go to a, a na let's name four different cards that also is what's working. Number one, I want to mention Squee Dubious Monarch. This is a card that is in the Jund mid-range decks, in some black-red mid-range decks, some black-red aggro lists, maybe some mono-red here and there, but it is in a good amount of the top-cut standard decks in the sideboard, if not one of main deck. I really like Squee because how well it plays into Liliana of the Veil, and we'll touch on Liliana a little bit later in the podcast, uh, and also how well it plays into Invoke Despair. What do you think about Squee? Yeah, I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit and say that I nailed this on the last podcast episode. Squee is great. Uh, it's Den of the Bugbear after Den of the Bugbear has rotated, but also it comes back from the graveyard, so it synergizes well with all the discard in the format. Fable the Mirror Breaker, Liliana. Um, I love this card. I was playing Judd Midrange on stream, and I kept losing to Invoke Despair and Liliana, sacrificing my good threats. And I was like, wait a second, I could just play Squee and nothing, none of that matters? My opponent resolved four copies of Invoke Despair in a single game, and I won the game because I had Squee and no other reason. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, that's, it's just an incredibly solid card. Um, one n Next card that works is the Cruelty of Gix. This is a card I don't think any of us were talking about last week on the podcast in our top five cards. But when you have, you want to hit all of your land drops, right? Because when you go Cruelty of Gix, you can just search another Cruelty of Gix and then play it and then bring a Titan of Industry back or whatever else you're bringing back. There was a couple reanimator decks that had Cruelty of Gix in it, but it's also just an extremely, extremely valuable card in a way that it's almost like a three for one. Kind of, it kind of reminds me of uh, what is that old saga that uh, that was played like four years ago or something like that? What was that called? Again? You're talking about the the Eldest Reborn. The Eldest Reborn. The so it's it. kind of like the power crept El El Eldest Reborn of this format. And allowing you to search for any card in your library, that's always Meat Hook Massacre, cough, cough, but it's, it's just really, really good. Yeah, and the read-ahead on the card is something you can't ignore either. Like, the first chapter, um, duressing your opponent effectively, is something that's not very great in the late game, but if you can just skip that chapter, then all of a sudden you know your next the next play you're going to make is going to be incredibly powerful and affect the board, uh, and then you've got something coming back from the graveyard after that. One thing I've done with 10 mana with Cruelty of Gix is, Cruelty of Gix, go ahead and search for, go ahead, read ahead for the second chapter, search another Cruelty of Gix, like I mentioned before. I'm going to expand on that a little bit. Play the second Cruelty of Gix, but look at their hand this time and discard something. And then the next turn, your other Cruelty of Gix that just was on two, two counters is now on three, and you get to reanimate whatever you just discarded from their hand. Yeah. And then you get to search, and then, and then the other one triggers, and you get to search another card. So it's like, yeah, it's just like an endless spiral of card advantage uh, that, that your opponent pro like, probably can't come back from. Yeah, it does kind of rely on you or your opponent having relevant creatures in the bin. Um, if you're up against control, the Eldest Reborn could bring back Planeswalkers, so it was basically always guaranteed to have something. Um, this actually does require a little more work and is a little more situational, but when it works, oh my god, is it great. Well, yeah, you're playing Fable the Mirror Breaker, discarding Titan of Industries anyway, right? You're bound to have one in the graveyard, or maybe your opponent's play. Or maybe it's a mirror match because Jund is everywhere, and you're bringing back their Titan of Industry. It's just, a, it's just crazy. I'm um, moving on because I don't want to spend too much time on Cruelty of Gix. It's a very powerful card. Uh, we're going to move on to Soul of Windgrace. 
This is in every single John list as well. Uh, I've seen anywhere between one and three copies. I don't think I've seen one with four copies of it since it is legendary, but Soul of Windgrace is basically... I, I didn't catch this last week on the podcast, but it's. I heard someone say it. I think it was like Chris Patello that was saying it on stream, but he said it was Renan 6 at home, and I kind of have to agree with him. Yeah, Soul of Windgrace is one that um, sort of slipped under my radar a little bit. It, it seemed like a weird commandery multirotha y card, and I didn't really give it the time of day, and I figured that it was just too much work to get these different modes to work. But if you have, like, uh, a land in the bin when this comes into play, it already just ramps you into your turn six plays, which are pretty powerful in the standard or making two, three drops at a time. And with Fable of the Mirror Breaker in every single red deck, uh, it's not that hard to get the land in the bin. So... You get your value right away, and then it's a must-remove threat later. Not only that, there's two other things. Number one, you play four of the Riveteer land that sacrifices itself to get a black, red, or green mana source anyway, and you play four of that. So it's kind of likely you have that. And it's, if you don't have that, maybe you're discarding a land off Able to Mirror Breaker, like you said. But it can also get your opponent's lands, too. So if they discard a land, or they mill one, or, or they have a, a fetch land, you also get theirs. It's really weird in the mirror match with you having to like exile your own lands from the graveyard to play around their soul of wind grace. So it, it, it gets kind of out of hand. Not not to mention we didn't even mention it's a format of four five, format of five four. So it, that's not bad. It, it works on enter the battlefield and attacking. So you just keep hitting your land drop every single turn. It it, it makes it to the point where if you don't remove soul of wind grace, you're going to lose the game. And that's gonna lead us into our next card, which we kind of disagree with. Uh, Shieldred the Apocalypse. This card is in almost every single one of the top red-black X lists that we're going to go over in a few minutes. And it's at two copies in almost all of them. If not one copy, there's a few of them that don't play this card, but it's in most of the top eight decks that we're going to go over. And much like Soul of Ingrace, this card is either you remove it or you lose. Um, an argument against Shieldred, I'm going to let Airball talk about, and then I will give my reaction. So, what do you think of Shieldred the Apocalypse? Yeah, I think the main reason we disagree about this card is that you're looking at what was good this last week, and I'm looking ahead to what will be good in the coming week. And I think that Shieldred was good this past week, and is in a lot of these decks, because it dodged a lot of the removal that people brought. So people brought Cutdown, Cutdown doesn't hit it. People brought red-based removal. It's a five-toughness creature. Red-based removal is not great against it. Um, so these decks just couldn't deal with it. And Vanishing Verse has gone from the format, of course, so it looks a lot better. Mm. But then, I'm gonna, I'm gonna going you forward... I'm going to say you're approving my paint. All right, go ahead. Yeah, so it was. <laughs> it was good. But I don't think it will be going forward. Um, because mid-range is dominating the format. And in mid-range mirrors... Or in mid-range metas, people bring blue. And this card does not play nice against counterspells. It doesn't like being countered at all. Uh, and people are going... Because it's black and because black has had so much success, the more general purpose, cheap, black-based removal, I think, will start to show up in the format in a way that will make Shieldred look pretty bad. I do I do want to say that um, about Shieldred and the removal that you're talking about that will hit Shieldred, there's not a lot because... Vanishing Verse rotated. There's you can't even play the other one that doesn't kill angels or dra dragons or demons anymore. Power word kill. Um, so what are you gonna play? Infernal Grasp. Um, you have to Infernal Grasp during your own upkeep to not take four life from killing this card. Uh, 
because yeah. you have to take the two off in front of Ross and then the two off drawing a card for turn from Shieldred or just hold it up on your end step for when they cast this. Um, yep. and, and, how, and how many Infernal Grass do you have to play in your deck to consistently kill Shieldred if people are playing two copies or three copies of this in their deck? Um, it also stable, it Omega stabilizes you against Mono Red, Ghoul, different decks like that, and we're going to go over why those decks aren't as good as we, as we, thought, there were, as we thought they were. Um, and it might, for some reason, be because of Shieldred, the Apocalypse in these mid-range decks it just it's a brick wall against anything that's trying to kill the deck and when you think about the decks that are trying to be more aggressive than this mid-range deck say rural aggro or mono green or or maybe even like a red white aggro deck that we've seen in the past standard the red white aggro deck has a lot of the same cards we still we still have um we still have the four mana three three haste that puts counters on things we, the, uh, we still have brutal cathar we still have hopeful initiate uh, we we lose Luminarch Aspirant, but there's still Thalia. There's still a lot of these cards that are still very powerful in that deck. And if you don't have Brutal Cathar, I mean, Shieldred just stabilizes you 100%. Especially if you start drawing extra cards off of Fable the Mirror Breaker when Shield with Shieldred out to gain 6 life in the turn that you do that. There's just a lot of life gain to stabilize you. So, um, I mean, what do you think about the, uh, like, the anti-aggro aspect of this card because the the decks that are that are aggro are playing are playing like four damage based removal or maybe even like a, a little bit of exile removal but what do you think about that yeah i mean i think that shield raid is a good card against aggro there's no doubt about it but i also think that mid-range is dominating the meta right now and in like the traditional rock paper scissors game of aggro mid-range control mid-range is usually what beats aggro anyway so like yes you can have shield raid and utterly stomp aggro but i think you can also just not have it and do just fine against aggro and improve your matchup against control yeah um, i was playing control today and i countered a number of shieldreds and it does feel yeah. good to counter shieldred um, but that that might be the most efficient way to deal with it is to just counter it. Um, removing it, might, you might have to take two life to remove this card, which isn't that big of a deal when you think about it. But when your opponent's already the aggressor, uh, taking two damage to remove Shieldred like isn't as much of an option anymore, and it it gets like really really annoying really fast. Um, but yeah. anyways, there there is that card that that kind of ends on ends with uh, the what's working, and that's a card that is probably going to be in the what's not working if we do it. Maybe next week, but you know we're doing it this week, and that's what worked over the weekend. So we're going to talk about Shieldred right. working. Um, anyways, moving on to what isn't working, a Quirion Beast Caller is a card that I really thought would be a staple. It would put Mono Green back on the map. It would make Gruel Aggro really good again. And honestly, looking at the deck lists that topped and even did well in the tournament, I, I think the best version of Aquarion Beastcaller aggro deck was like three and three. Like none of them top eight. If if not like one of them maybe top eight at like a five and one or something. But Aquarion Beastcaller is a card that I thought would be really good, but it just is it hasn't seemed to be good enough right now. Yeah. Um I think that Quirion Beastcaller, like we talked about in the last podcast episode, is really good against spot removal and really bad against board wipes. And mid-range decks, at least the ones that I saw over the weekend, were mostly running um, board wipes instead of like instead of targeted removal. The Meat Hook Massacre immediately comes to mind. So if you can Meat Hook Massacre the board such that the counters it puts on other creatures don't matter or don't have targets, then all of a sudden this card doesn't look so great. 
One of the things about Kurumbi's car that I thought would be really good is that it dodges Meat Hook Massacre by, um, you know, throwing itself when you cast other creatures. Um, but I honestly think the the sheer presence of Cutdown makes Kurumbi's car just like you can't play it on turn two. If you play it on turn two, it's getting cut down like almost every time. All the black decks are playing at least three copies of Cutdown. There's a lot of voltage surge going on. Um, if you don't have a one drop into the 2-2, two -two, if you don't have a really good start, I think I think Cutdown is just too good against Queer on Beast Caller um, unless you can uh, cast it on a turn that the opponent is tapped out and then also cast another creature in the same turn. That's, like, that's kind of a lot to ask for. It is a lot to ask for. Um, the only other place where a card like Quarian Beast Caller might be good is if it opens the door for your bigger threats to get through that removal. So if the opponent has to cast their uh, cutdown on Quarian Beast Caller, that's one less cutdown they have for a future threat. The problem is that cutdown already wants to be cast on your one or two drop and was never going to kill your three or four drops anyway. So Beast Caller doesn't open the door in that way against the, the dominant removal in the format. Yeah, I agree. Um, next thing we're going to go over is the Is It slash Blue White Tempo decks. Talking about the last podcast, I really thought that going over the new Dominaria cards, that Blue White Tempo, Mono Blue Tempo would really be back on the map with the tools that it got in the format. But it did really bad over the weekend. There was... No is it decks and no blue white tempo decks slash mono blue tempo decks that did good at all. I think there was maybe one blue X, maybe it was like a blue red Delver deck that did okay, but for the most part, it was either three and three or losing records all weekend. Yeah, so this is the, these are the kinds of decks that have like the aggro versus mid range problem that we were talking about earlier, but it's got it extra bad because. Um, it relies on a tempo element that these mid-range decks, at least the ones in the format right now, are already really good at dealing with. So, like, instead of playing really good, efficient threats that are normally good against control, it plays really bad threats that are good because they're backed up with cheap counter magic that pay it off. Um, that's not great against mid-range decks that run super efficient removal like Fatal Push or Cutdown. Um, so, you know, traditionally, Mono Blue Spirits doesn't have a great matchup, right, against Rakdos and Pioneer. Um, I think the same is he, this, the same is holding true in standard right now. I think the more efficient your your threats and counter spells and protection spells are, the better it becomes against Rakdos. And you can see that in the uh, Rakdos mid range against Mono Blue Spirits and Pioneer matchup. You can see that in Rakdos sometimes has an overwhelming amount of two two mana removal in the form of Stomp with Bone Crusher Giant, a Braid different things like that, that maybe there's three mana removal, like a Mulligan's Command and things like that, that are just like, just too much mana of removal. So if you can get that one mana creature down and then play a land and hold up like a one mana counter spell slash protection spell, you can out-tempo the Rakdos deck. Um, but I think it's a little bit more 50-50 than you're making it, like Rakdos against Blue-White Spirits, but I think Rakdos might have like a 55% edge. Um, yeah. I think it's like a and little bit forty-five, favored, but you can definitely yeah. win with with blue with mono blue. Yeah, but if you're forty-five percent against the deck that's dominating the format right now, then that's not a great place to be in a tournament. Oh right, you're just hoping to dodge that deck uh, as much as you can and beat all the mono green in Pioneer. Yeah, and 
Yeah, and that that's probably what they were trying to do in these standard tournaments, and it just did not work out. Oh, no, it didn't work. If, if the entire format was just mono-black control, then mono-blue spirits, or not even just spirits, mono-blue slash blue-white tempo slash is it Delver tempo, I think would be really strong. Sure. But there's just, um, there's not enough yeah. mono-black. I mean, we're going to go into mono-black. Mono-black did, or I was a little bit more impressed with mono-black in these tournaments than I originally thought. And maybe that's what the blue-white tempo deck was trying to go after. With with um, maybe mono black has to tap out for invoke despair, and you can just counter that and get in. But um, maybe they just didn't get the right matchups. But it's really hard to play a blue-white slash is it tempo deck in it, with with a, a black X mid-range. Every deck is black red X mid-range. There's Grixis all all over the place, Jund all over the place, Rakdos all over the place, and if every deck is black red X, you're gonna have a hard time with blue-white tempo. Yeah, 100% agree. All right, the next card that I think was broken, and it is nowhere to be found. I have not found a single deck with this card in it, I don't think. If you can look really deep into the decks that went 1 and 3, or 1 and 4 and, and dropped, maybe they have this, this card in it, and it's your favorite card. If you, listen to the, if you listen to the last podcast, you will know how high Airball is on temporary lockdown so i'm gonna you know let him talk about it for a second yeah i do want to point out that uh the third place deck list in the Grookies tournament was running three copies of the card but um you know at the beginning of a new format control is usually disadvantaged um because people are trying new stuff there's a big variety of threats in the format and when there's a variety of threats there's a saying in magic that there's no such thing as a bad threat but there are bad answers and in the early days of a format, it's very hard to line up your control deck's answers with the variety of threats that you expect to see in a tournament. So it doesn't surprise me that control decks did not do well in the first couple of in the first couple of tournaments. I haven't given up on this card yet. I think that control, um, once the meta settles, control will do better, and then I think temporary lockdown will do a little better than it did. I think there's just so many incredibly efficient three mana cards in standard that. I, I don't know if this card ever makes a main board, like, in the in the future. Was this card a, a main deck three of? This was a main deck three of and another in the board. Wow. Uh, I mean, that might that might be a reason why the Rakdos Anvil decks didn't do as well. Maybe maybe Temporary Lockdown got them, got the good matchup. But uh, a lot of the two-mana threats, at least most of them, that are in the Black-Red X decks. Um, and usually these decks are pretty greedy. With the Cruelty of Gix, Soul of Windgrace, Shieldra, like we already talked about, Invoke Despair all over the place. Um, there's not many two drops to go around, right? I mean, it, it takes the, it take, maybe, maybe it takes the Fable token and the Treasure tokens and the Blood tokens and the Blood Tithe Harvester and the Tenacious Underdog, right? Um, yeah. But I think a problem I have with Temporary Lockdown right now is that there, are, there is an abundance of Invoke Despair. So if you don't have multiple... We don't have multiple enchantments on the board. Invoke Despair is definitely getting rid of temporary lockdown. And if it didn't exile a bunch of tokens, they're going to get their cards back. Yeah, no, I think temporary lockdown is a card that's going to go in and out, sideboard, main board, sideboard, main board, because I think that control is going to come back with a vengeance. It's going to eat these mid range decks alive in the next few weeks. And then people will switch to aggro. And then temporary lockdown will be really good against aggro. So people will uh, then people will switch back to mid range to prey on the aggro decks and we'll board out the temporary lockdowns again. But it's a very valuable <laughs> tool for the control decks to have, and we haven't had access to something like this before. And something that completely shuts down the Rakdos artifact deck makes me very happy. Oh, it makes me happy too. 
I, I think it'll be a lot better in Pioneer than it will be in Standard. In Pioneer, I, I think there's just there's just too many good three and four drops that like everyone that like so many decks play that yeah. I, I don't know if it if it in the at the end of the day sees a, a bunch of play, but in in Pioneer, I think it's absolutely amazing and an effect we haven't had in a long in a long time, if not. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, let's go ahead and I, I touched this on a, I touched on this already, but the Rakdos Anvil deck. I've seen a Rakdos Anvil deck with like four copies of Braids in it, and I I was kind of low on Braids on in the, in the last podcast if you heard about it, but um, Braids is really good in maybe this one deck Rakdos Anvil Sacrifice, but it did not do well at all. There was probably one or two that did kind of well, but I don't know if any of them top aided. Maybe one of them did, but I. Would expect that this deck would be very good coming out of it being really good last standard, and it just didn't do as well over the weekend. Yeah, uh, Rakdos deck with four copies of Braids did make the top eight in the Crokies tournament, um, so all hope is not lost for this card. Um, but it just doesn't really seem to do enough. I think standard is at a even even post rotation standard is at a point where we want our cards to do a little bit more than Braids does. Yeah, uh, and not Braids specifically. I don't think I'm picking on Braids when I talk about this Rakdos Anvil. Um, Braids doesn't get killed by Cutdown, which is important. But the Rakdos Anvil deck is worse with how many decks are playing Meetup Massacre. And if you have a Black Red X mid-range deck, they're all playing Meetup Massacre. At least three copies in the main deck of literally every deck, and they're all and they're and it's searchable with Cruelty of Gix. So you have to figure out a way to kill the mid-range decks super quick, or else you're going to get buried by all the card advantage that the black-red decks have. Yeah, it's kind of got the Liliana, Liliana Syndrome, too, where it's the victim of its own success. If a lot of people are playing this card, if a lot of people are playing crap to the board that they don't mind sacrificing, then all of a sudden Braids is not um, super compelling. Um, but, uh, and I, I think that the core of the... the um, the artifact deck is not nearly as strong in a standard that doesn't have a whole lot of um, control versus one that has a ton of mid-range with an actual proactive game plan that can just kill you. Um, I also think we haven't mentioned this yet, but Rakdos Anvil lost the best card in the deck. Uh, not Anvil, but it lost Deadly Dispute. And that is a major, major blow. And that's probably one of the other reasons why it didn't do it. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's definitely right. Uh, moving on to the last one from the draw step here in what isn't working is Mono Red and Boros Aggro. We talked about this already a little bit, so let's touch on, touch on it a little bit more. Um, Mono Red, I think, is in a place where it could be good when the control decks figure out how to beat the midrange. Um, when the control decks figure out that they need to counterspell Shieldred and counterspell um, Wind Grace and counterspell Invoke Despair, and have uh, threats, have interaction that deals very well with the threats that they're playing. Maybe some Graveyard graveyard Exile as well, because Graveyard Exile is very important against Tenacious Underdog. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things that can go into control decks coming back against those mid-range decks in the future. And I'm interested to see what happens this week. But when those decks end up beating the mid-range decks, mid-range decks are going to have to evolve into something else. But that opens the door for Mono Red and Boros Aggro to beat the control decks. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Uh, we talked a lot already about the rock paper scissors game that is standard right now. Um, I think 
mono red and boros are also just a little bit underpowered right now compared to what the rest of the meta is doing um most of the good mono red tools right now um are high up the mana curve which kind of incentivizes you to like play the more mid-rangey kind of strategies that are not great against control anyway so i'm not sure that mono red finds a home a good place in the meta even if control starts to take over i think mono white might be better but um yeah i i could see mono red doing something it's just not what i expect to happen yeah we have, we have really good tools we have play with fire and lightning strike now uh, so uh, i i could i could see it but i'm not convinced that's the reason and it it also just we we i'm convinced now especially because i know that it didn't work over the weekend mono red and boros aggro did very very bad over the weekend in all three tournaments that were um, moving on to our main phase, we are going to talk about these three tournaments in a little bit more detail on exactly which decks made the top eight of them. Uh, I do want to mention a little bit of a thing that I learned, is that I thought Liliana the Veil would be a little bit more prevalent, but even in almost every one of these decks playing black mana, it's only played in about 50% of the black decks, and there are almost never four copies of them. There's four copies in a few different mono black lists, but mono black is the on almost the only thing uh, playing four copies of Liliana. I've seen two Lilies. I've seen three. Um, what, do you, what do you think about is the meta adapt to Liliana already, or are people trying out different uh, different numbers of Liliana in, in their decks? What do you think? Um, trying to come up with a way to say it that doesn't sound dirty, but like Liliana's not great at playing with herself. Um, oh. no, that doesn't sound dirty at all. I don't if, know why anyone yeah, would think that. You know, no, yeah. If 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 you know what I mean, right? No, I don't um, know what you mean. Explain. It, um, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so <laughs> Liliana wants to play like a low resource game, right? Liliana wants to put a bunch of stuff in the graveyard, wants to get both players hellbent, um, get, get into a top deck war with like incidental value from the graveyard. So you want your deck to be full of, um, good top decks. And Liliana is not really a great top deck, particularly if you already have one in play. You don't really want to be drawing copies three and four. And like you said earlier, uh, in the podcast, there are a lot of good three drops in the red and black colors. You don't need to play four copies of Liliana because you could be playing any other three drop. I think two two or three is probably the right number. Uh, there was a, a an article written by Reed Duke actually recently on uh, Channel Fireball Pro uh, where, you know, the Reed Duke has cast a lot of Lilianas of the Veil. Um, <laughs> That's true. Kn knows the card better than most people. Um, and he, even even he says that usually you don't want to play four copies in any one deck. Yeah, um, I was I'm ex I was experimenting with four copies of Liliana. Uh, yeah, you never want to draw two. Sometimes your opponent has has a useless creature on board, and the one you actually want to get rid of, you can't sacrifice because they have a one one off a of wedding announcement, or maybe it's a two two off a of fable of the mirror breaker, and then there's a graveyard trespasser right next to it, but you know you can't kill it. So you minus Liliana just to I guess kill the two two, and then Liliana dies to graveyard trespasser. Um, or your opponent has a tenacious underdog on the board, and they're just going to cast it back and kill you out, kill kill it after you minus on it anyway. Uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot of just incidental creatures, and people know already that Liliana's in the format, and Mono Black will play it, and there's going to be some number of it in Red Black's Red Black X decks. Um, so they're going to be playing cards like Squee that we mentioned already, that kind of dodges Liliana um, minus ability, and also people want to not sacrifice their best creature from Invoke Despair, and Invoke Despair is pretty much everywhere in the format also. So they're going to want to diversify their creatures into a, a little bit go wide, even though going wide is a little bit worse against Meat Hook Massacre. Um, so you want creatures that have a little bit higher toughness, but you want that like one or two creature on the side that you can just sacrifice to Liliana at whatever time or invoke despair. So I, I think 
that's what that's what's like kind of pushing Liliana away from being in most decks, and it's about in fifty percent. Yeah, the other thing is that Liliana doesn't do great. It's weird. Liliana doesn't do very well in formats where Liliana's doing well. If that Excuse makes sense, me? because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I might not have explained that super well, but. If you expect to be playing against a lot of other decks that are playing Liliana, then your Lilianas get a little bit worse because everyone else is building their strategy around her as well. They have stuff that they actively want to discard. So they're already perfectly comfortable playing Hellbent, discarding stuff to their graveyard, getting value from their graveyard. Compelling them to discard um, and forcing yourself to discard at the same time is card advantage neutral and helps their game plan as much as it helps yours. She's not great if she's widely played. Yeah, I've I've definitely discarded my tenacious underdog, and my opponent discarded an infernal grasp, and I was like, "We are winning this." <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, after we talk about Liliana, let's go ahead and get into it. This is what we're here for: the actual tournament data. Now, switching over to the new page here. If you're watching this on YouTube, oh, we also have a YouTube channel. If you're listening to listening to this a podcast, and oh, by the way, if you're listening to this on YouTube, we also have a podcast channel. Anyways, uh, now that I have that out of the way. Um, let's go ahead and look at the first tournament here, which is the Crokies tournament. And there is a deck that we haven't talked about yet that I do want to talk about. Elliot Dragon makes the most perfect decks ever conceived. I think I just want to farm every deck that he's ever made and just play them. Um, he's He has the third, fourth, one of the third, fourth decks. Let's talk about the first and second deck. And they're pretty much the same deck. Uh, first place is Rikimaru Boys that played Jund. Now, the 19 creatures that it plays is, of course, you know, Blood Tithe Harvester, Graveyard Trespasser, uh, Soul of Windgrace, Squee, Tenacious Underdog, Titan of Industry. But there's a couple cards I want to point out here for those of you listening that aren't watching this is Florian Voldarian Scion was a one of creature, which I do like a lot. This is more of an aggressively slanted build that I've seen of Jund. It's pretty much just like Rakdos aggro splash some really good green cards, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, what are the green cards? What do we, we have three copies of Titan of Industry. We have one copy of Soul, um, one copy, one random copy of Outland Liberator, um, Primeval Warden. Yeah, this is like a weird deck that has a ton of one-ofs in it. I guess... If you're doing the reanimation thing, then it's it benefits you to have a lot of a good variety of targets in your graveyard, so you can pull back the one that is perfect for the situation. Um, yeah, I, I do think that that's the reason why there's one ups here. There's three copies of Cruelty of Gix, and I wanted to mention this card in the what in the what's working section because this card can go search for if you need to get rid of a Fable of the Mirror Breaker or maybe a Reckon or Bankbuster from your opponent, you just go search out Liberator with it. Play it, sacrifice it, good to go. You need a, a way to counteract Liliana or Invoke Despair, go get your Squee. You you want a, a way to, you know your opponent's not going to be able to deal with a Junji Midnight Sky? Go ahead and search out that one. Play it. It's a 5-5 five, five Flying Menace. Um, there's different like silver bullets that you can get off of Cruelty of Gix that's not, that is not maybe the Meat Hook Massacre or um, March of Wretched Sorrow. Uh, there's three copies of Cut Down, two copies of Terra Sunder, which is slowly becoming one of my favorite cards in the format. It's a instant speed binding the old gods, basically. Exile target, non, non-land permanent by paying four mana, uh, black, green, and two. And 
Um, it's a really, really strong effect, especially since Exile is really good in this format. A lot of times people want to play their Titan of Industry, it dies, they reanimate it from, from, uh, from Cruelty of Gix. But if you can exile the Titan of Industry or exile the Squee, exile the Tenacious Underdog, it's very, very strong. And then there's another silver bullet here as well that we didn't mention yet, the Elder Dragon War, which is the four mana, four, four Rita Head Saga that deals two damage to all creatures. And then it can discard any number of cards in your hand and then draw that many cards. And then it also makes a four, four dragon. So um, this is this is a interesting list. Uh, one card we also didn't talk about is Namada Primeval Warden. This is one of the one-ofs that it plays. It's a uh, two black, green, three, four legendary true folk with reach. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. When you do, create a one, one green sapperling creature token. You can pay a green and sacrifice a sapperling. Namada Primeval Warden gets plus two, plus two till end of turn. And you can pay one and a black and sacrifice two sapperlings to draw a card. So it's, it has the, it has a really nice, um, what is, what is that card? Uh, in, in, uh, Rakdos Midrange and Pioneer. That's yeah. really good. It's like, I, I, I was, was going to call this Khalid, Kalidus at home. Yeah. It's a Kalidus at home. Card, and you can yeah. go, go ahead and your, if your opponent is playing the Rakdos Anvil deck or your opponent has maybe a Tenacious Underdog in play, you can just, Search for Namada Primeval Warden, play it, kill your opponent's uh, Tenacious Underdog, and then you get a 1-1 Sapperling and it exiles the Underdog. So overall, this is the a type of deck that you would expect to win uh, the tournament as of right now, since Black Red X is so good. But, I mean, what do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're learning from looking at these de decks and the discussions that we've been having, it's that exile-based removal um, is at a premium. And... Um, without vanishing verse the exile based removal is uh also not super great there's a like soul transfer in black is probably like the best one that i've had success with playing this past week um but like this card fits super well and i and i like the swiss army knife toolbox approach that the cruelty of gix um plus the reanimator strategy from junji enables yeah i i do like that as well i like this build let's check out the next jun list that actually got second place this is not as low to the ground, but it also has a little bit of a graveyard synergy. It's playing way less copies of Graveyard Trespasser. I think the first place list played four. This one only plays one. Um, the differences in this deck is it plays two old Rutstein, which is a three mana, one, four legendary creature. And at the beginning of your, when it enters the battlefield at the beginning of your upkeep, you mill a card, and then it does things based on if a land was milled, if a creature was milled, and if a non-creature non-land card's milled. It makes blood tokens, treasures, and 1-1s. One and this is a just a, a beefy 1-4, um, I guess. It hasn't been very popular in Standard over the past few months, even before rotation, but um, we knew that after rotation, certain cards that were not as good when Expressive Iteration and Goldspin Dragon were everywhere were going to become better. And Old Rutstein makes second place in this tournament, so... There's at least something to say about that. Uh, it does mill your cards for Soul of Windgrace, and this deck is playing three copies of Soul of Windgrace instead of one for the other, the other list. And I, mean, I gotta tell you, Soul, Soul of Windgrace majorly impressed impressed me. I've already talked about it. Not much else to say about it, but it just impresses me. Three copies in the second place list. Uh, two Titan of Industries and two Workshop Warchief. Uh, this is a card that I've really liked. It's the five mana, five three Blitz Rhino. With a Trample, when it enters the battlefield, you gain 3 life. When it dies, it makes a 4-4. Four, four. A green Rhino and the Blitz is for 6 mana. So it's a, it's a 
I don't know. I, what is this Thrag Tusk at home that we were talking about <laughs> a while ago that this card is? And it just has a bunch of other removal spells. And um, actually, this has a couple cards in it that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, one of my cards from the last podcast, Jaya Fiery Negotiator, is played at two copies in this deck. The four mana red Planeswalker with four loyalty that makes a 1 1 Prowess Monk. Uh, it can exile cards off the top of the library to cast them. You can kill your opponent's creatures by attacking with your own creatures, and then you get a win emblem that wins the game by copying your spells. Um, whether that was played to make a bunch of 1 1s and, and go wide because people they were expecting people to play Liliana of the Veil and, and Invoke Despair. Maybe that was a, a, a nod to that, or maybe it did more for this deck. I don't know, because I didn't watch the games being played. There's also Teachings of the Kirin, is a two-mana enchantment saga that mills three cards, make a 1-1 spirit token, put a 1-1 counter on a creature you control, and then it exiles to return as a 1-1 that you can exile creatures from grave and make 1-1s and put counters on your things. Maybe that's a nod to Invoke Despair also, because it's an enchantment that you can just sacrifice to that. I, I, I don't know for sure. But this is this is more toolboxy as well, and this is also playing Cruelty of Gix. Uh, what do you think about this list that compares to the first place? It's a little bit different. It is a little bit different. It, it's different in ways that I think I mostly like. Um, I think the inclusion of Workshop Warchief is great. Um, I think that that's the the mid rangey card that every deck wants in this kind of meta. I think I, I love it, um, and not a bad reanimation target either. Um, Blitz is great as a way to beat down uh, any control decks that you run into. I think that's a great inclusion that was missing in the last one. I also love Jaya. Um, I think that there's uh, when you have these board stall situations or you have these low resource uh, games that are pretty common, uh, given the cards that people are playing, uh, top decking a Planeswalker, particularly one of the better red Planeswalkers that we've seen in Standard in the last probably five or six years, uh, is great. What I don't like about this list I think it's a little rough around the edges. The two copies of Old Brutstein seem very weak to me. Um, that card has has never once impressed me. I think that there, I think we could probably be, be doing better there. Um, not being able to control what you get off of it is pretty painful. Um, it's not really a super relevant body, um, and it's not something that that compels the opponent to answer it. And I think that that's kind. We we we're in a heavy hitting you know slugfest of a meta. I don't think this card does enough. And Teaching of the Karen falls to the same um, the same bin for me. I know it enables milling, but Fable of the Mirror Breaker does that. Blood Tithe Harvester makes that. How much mill? How much self-mill do you really need um, to pay off your Soul of Wind Grace? I mean, this was one match away from winning the entire tournament. I do have to mention that Old Rutstein does die to cut down, which is another reason why it's not as good. Uh, all, all of a sudden, cards that die to cut down are... are become way less valuable even if they're three drops like brutal cathar i think just instant speed gets killed by a one mana spell now which is probably another reason why we haven't seen uh red white aggro do very well um there's this old rutstein card that dies to it there's um rafine dies to it now so we've seen a little bit less of that alana and elena dies to cut down so maybe that's the reason why gruel hasn't been as good uh, also, Reckless Stormseeker dies to cut down, so that's probably another reason why Gruul or Mono Red isn't as good. So, uh, cut down is definitely one of those cards that, if you're if if a good threat of yours dies to it, it's probably just not a good threat anymore. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to line up well against the good removal in the format, but also like you want to play threats that compel your opponent 
to spend their premium removal. And as a if I was playing against Old Rutstein, I don't know that I would particularly care. I feel like it's it, one of the lowest impact things that someone <laughs> could possibly do to me. It's in it's incremental value though, Airball. Think of the value. It's it's the most incremental value <laughs> possible. It's like it's like the Zeno's paradox of value. You're getting a little bit closer to mattering every single time, but you never quite get there. But then three turns later, after you didn't deal with it because you think it doesn't matter, it starts mattering. You get three one ones. You get like a two one ones and a treasure token that can come up. It can matter. Sure. Yeah. If we go four turns um, without me being able to answer a threat, um, honestly, if any three drop that I leave on the board for that amount of time should probably kill me. All right, so you're saying that it is a good threat. I'm saying that if if you're playing against Sparky, it will probably get the job done, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, j just for the record, it's a good threat. Um, if, you, if it hits on the board for four turns, let's just keep it at that. Um, this sure. deck is also just playing one cut down. It, it, yeah, it just doesn't care about other aggro decks, I guess. Maybe just old Rutstein, just too big of a body. I'm just going gonna, gonna to get off the old Rutstein train. Uh, one Infernal Grasp, one Soul Transfer we heard you talk about. Um, it chose to play Voltage Surge over Cutdown. And by the way, Old, old Rutstein makes uh, artifacts, but okay. I, th I said I was going to stop with Old Rutstein, but I'm just not going to stop anymore. Uh, Voltage Surge, uh, Exile. I think you just uh, like saying, I think you just like saying Rutstein. I do, I do. It's fun to say. Uh, Voltage Surge sacrifices the uh, artifacts that Old Rutstein makes, and also artifacts that Fable the Mirror Breaker makes. But um, so I guess that's why they chose to play Voltage Surge over Cutdown. I'm not sure which one's better. Uh, I could probably go back and forth on which one it is, but I know Voltage Surge might be better if you can utilize it. Yeah, I mean, Cutdown will kill a creature that has um, five total power or toughness, right? Or yes. less. Voltage Surge will kill anything with four toughness or less pretty much all the time in a deck like this. Um, that's just That just seems like it hits more stuff to me than Cutdown does. I think if you have the artifact support, Voltage Surge is probably pretty good. Right. All right. Well, that is that Jun list. Well, let us know in the comments if you which, which Jun variant you like. The uh, earlier one that we talked about ended up beating this one in the finals. Uh, we have Jeskai Control as the third slash fourth place with Elliot Dragon playing it. This is more up your alley, Airball. And this has a little bit of a, like a pseudo combo in there it's not a combo kill per se i guess it could technically be but we have teferi who slows the sunset that untaps your artifacts and lands and creatures and then we also have two copies of timeless lotus they go together as you play you know teferi on turn four you play timeless lotus on turn five and then it comes into play tapped and it can tap for all colors of mana but you untap the Timeless Lotus and land, so you get six extra mana after you play the Timeless Lotus on the turn that you play the Timeless Lotus. Yeah. Um, I When I saw this card spoiled, I immediately thought of Teferi, um, and it's not really surprising because that's exactly what happened when Key to the Archive was printed into Alchemy. Yep. Um, this Teferi-Key to the Archive combo dominated Alchemy for a long time until there was, um, until there was rebalances happening, and I thought that that was just because of the insane mana advantage it provides, so I thought, surely, if we put Teferi and Timeless Lotus into the same deck in Standard, we're going to be well on our way. And what I found when I was doing this was that there just wasn't a whole lot of high-end payoff for having a ton of extra mana at sorcery speed on your turn. And 
I think probably the best use for the mana in this deck is the um, the Silver Scrutiny, the three copies in the Instants and Sorceries uh, section there, which is um, the card draw spell, the X card draw spell that has flash if um, X is three or less, draw X cards. Um, so you can uh, create a bunch of mana on your turn, pump a bunch of mana into Silver Scrutiny, leave up your counter magic for your opponent's turn, and draw a ton of cards. Um, so that's, I think, where most of the value is in the format for uh, the Teferi-Timeless-Lotus combo right now. And to me, that's just not worth it. Like, let's just play more copies of Memory Deluge. I don't think the uh, I don't think the Teferi-Timeless-Lotus combo is there yet, but check back in a future standard where we have something bigger to do with our with our big mana. There, this is the only deck that top that top eight at a tournament playing temporary lockdown. Um, this is a Jeskai control deck. It's playing two copies of Farewell, which is also something that you can use the six mana with. Your opponent has a huge board. They didn't kill the Teferi. I guess they they probably should kill Teferi, but maybe maybe you untapped a land and and cast a March of Otherworldly Light on their creature to to stop Teferi from dying. Next turn, play Timeless Lotus, untap, and then you play Farewell in the same turn, which you can do because that's six mana, right? Uh, which is pretty important. Yeah. Um, and then you can also like witness the future and then into a counter magic or witness the future into, you know, something else you want to play, whether that's Urtai uh, Scorn, which is the counter spell that he's one of the counter spells he's choosing to play. Uh, there's a negate temporal firestorm that you can also cast, but a uh, witness the future has actually impressed me. I played this card recently in a Demir control deck, and not only can you recycle your own stuff, but you can return all of their graveyard, all, all of their their uh, graveyard um, tenacious underdogs back into their deck is super strong. Uh, so there, there's definitely a use for witness to future in this format that wasn't their last form. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, returning to fair, the discussion about farewell, I think farewell is pretty well positioned in the meta right now. Um, not like super well positioned, but any board wipe that like lets you deal with both aggression and the graveyard is pretty nice. I will say that Farewell and Timeless Lotus don't play super well together because a lot of the time you're casting Farewell against a deck with a bunch of artifacts. They're like maybe vehicles or uh, the Raptos artifact builds. Uh, having to exile your own Timeless Lotus to Farewell, not really super appealing, but sometimes you got to do what you got to do, I guess. A lot of the times that I've I've seen on streams and things is that Farewell was just the win-con button when your opponent plays a bunch of Cruelty of Gix, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of new sagas that have come out. Uh, they have underdogs on the board and in the graveyard. They have, uh, they're getting a huge board. Maybe they just cast Tide of Industry or, or revived it off of Cruelty of Gix. Maybe they have, uh, usually it's like an enchantment and creature and graveyard card in standard right now, I think. Um, the only artifact you really care about in a control deck like this is maybe is maybe a uh, unlicensed hearse. It's like the only thing I can think of that. You, I, mean, I I think in order to keep the timeless lotus around, you're okay with letting them keep some blood tokens. I think. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, it is interesting to me that there's four copies of Bankbuster on the board and none in the main. Um, I saw a bunch of decks with uh, Bankbuster in the main having success. Um, so it's interesting to see that uh, there's four copies in the board. There's also a ton of like one ofs in this deck, even more than I'm used to seeing in a control deck. 
normally decks that have a lot of card draw and card selection, you get away with having one drop or uh, one ofs in your deck because you just find the silver bullet that you need. There's a lot here, like one random negate, um, one random Urtai Scorn, one random March of Otherworldly Light. It's uh, it's definitely an interesting deck building decision. I'm not sure what you think about that. It's also a light up the night. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I light up the night is really good uh, uh, against like with Timeless Lotus. Like this deck utilizes the kicker very well in uh, kicking Temporal Firestorm. You know, you would think that nine mana is a lot to kick Temporal Firestorm twice, or maybe seven is a lot to kick it once. But with Timeless Lotus, you can just do anything you want. And that's a good use of the mana. Um, to answer your question about the one ofs, I just think that's how that's definitely just how Elliot Dragon builds decks. Like I know him personally, and he just does this with like every deck that he makes. Uh, and if you see his sideboard, he'll probably have the same thing in his sideboard. Uh, the only thing he has more than one copy of is Holebreaker Horror at two copies, Negate at three copies, and Record of Bankbuster at four copies. Everything else is a one of, one of Anointed Peacekeeper. I mean, it's a three three Vigilance, I guess. Uh, one of Disdainful Stroke, one of Farewell, one of Fateful Absence, one of Temporary Lockdown, and one of Unlicensed And I think yeah. that's just a, a more of a testament of like how he builds decks than uh, than actually like an anomaly. Sure, it is. Uh, the control player in me is interested that we have four copies of Negate in the seventy-five and one copy of Disdainful Stroke because it feels to me like Disdainful Stroke ought to be a lot better. But maybe Negate is just a nod to how important cards like Fable of the Mirror Breaker are to be able to counter. Oh, definitely. Uh, Disdainful Stroke, the only thing that Disdainful Stroke stops that Negate doesn't stop is the big AO, the Dawn Sky, Junji, the Midnight Sky, or I think that's the name of it. I think that might, and and like a hard cast Titan of Industry. Or Shieldred, or Workshop Warchief, or... Well, if you're playing this deck, um, you don't really care about Shield, right? Like, you don't, you don't really care. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, removal sure. for that, right? Um... Well, I guess not I guess really. not, not too much, right? There's there's what temporal firestorm deals five damage to the creature, which is important. There is Urtai scorn that can counter it. There is farewell that can exile it. There is march of otherworldly light that can exile it, and that might be it. A oh, wandering emperor exiles yeah. it. There's four copies of it. Yeah, I mean, if your opponent's ever going to attack into wandering emperor mana, well, they're. they're they definitely will, because they have to kill you at some point, right? If you have a Timeless Lotus and a Teferius Sons of Sunset, you're going to die very fast. That's probably true. Um, I, I think I think this deck is really interesting. I'd be I'd be interested to see how good this deck will be when people know about it, or are maybe gunning for it, and, and this maybe becomes more popular since the top eight of this tournament. Uh, I've seen different streamers playing this deck already, including, uh, I mean, I think Ali Eldrazi actually played this deck either either today or yesterday. Um, right after he found out that Elliot Dragon played it. So if this gets more popular, then um, then you, you might... See, this is one of those decks, right? That you, you, you say, oh, maybe Mono Red or maybe Boros Aggro can be good if the, a deck like this is beating the Red-Black X mid-range decks, and you know, this could be it. Yeah. Uh, moving on to what came in third or fourth place, and this kind of counteracts everything that we just said about the format right now, but this is, I think, more of the exception than the rule uh white weenie got fourth place in the croquis tournament playing you know cards that you already know about right if you're listening to this and you're listening was following standard for a while adeline um hopeful initiate intrepid adversary a uh, lunark veteran um and spirit companion are played in this deck but there's some new cards in here as well 
There's two anointed peacekeeper, which is like the, which is you know the three mana three three vigilance that looks at their hand and chooses a card, and it costs two more to cast, and also activate activated abilities with sources of that cost yeah. two more as well. Paulo at home. Paulo Vitor Dama de Rosa at home. Yes, we have uh, four guardian of new banalia. The two mana two two enlist creature. Whenever it enlists a creature, you scry two, which is probably the only playable enlist creature in constructed. Uh, and it, it also has the discard a card, guardian of new banalia gains indestructible to end of turn and tap it. So this has the ability to block and attack through things very well. Uh, dodges removal. I mean, doesn't dodge me took massacre or blood tide harvester, which I don't think makes this deck uh, very good. But maybe this dodges the black red X decks in the, the tournament. Uh, in in having a lot of ways to answer this, but another just really good two mana two mana uh, creature to play, and then also plays resolute reinforcements. It is the raise the alarm of the formats two mana one uh, format two mana one one human soldier with flash, and then it makes a one one when it enters the battlefield. So um, just another way to go really wide, and then two copies of one of my favorite cards, Sarah Paragon. Uh, I, this card made enough top eights that I did not put it in our what isn't working category, but it's a little bit less played in top eights that I than I originally thought it would be. But this card just lets you reuse almost every single card in this deck, if not literally every card in this deck is a permanent. So yes, it can get literally every card back in this deck. The format of three four, the liar, and then you can play lands or cast permanents of mana value three or less from your graveyard. And then when they get when they die, they get exiled and you gain two life. So it's just another way of I guess it's just like the Legion Angel of this deck. If you're used to playing Mono White from the past, from a past format, it is just uh, a, a top end card that gains you a lot of value. Goes unanswered. I can kill your opponent. And then we have eight more other cards that aren't necessarily creatures. Two, res two restoration of Iganjos, and I think that's why they're playing four Spirited Companions as well to bring that back. Uh, two Wandering Emperors and four Wedding Announcements. So. Um, Looking at this mono white weenies deck, uh, how do you think this uh, made the top eight in this tournament? It's like it's the only mono white deck that topped, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, this deck made some weird deck building choices. Now, I'm I'm not an aggro player, so I I can't speak with any authority here. But it is weird to me that in post rotation standard, there's a mono white deck that is playing only two copies of Wandering Emperor. To me, that seems strange. Um, it's playing Restoration of Aganjo, which I think is pretty bad from a tempo point of view um it's gonna it's fetching a land for you that is not going to really cast anything that has cmc greater than four anyway so i don't really like buying the uh buying the land from the deck um putting a spirited companion into play off the second chapter all right that's kind of cute but this deck wants to get the opponent dead and restoration of a ganjo doesn't really seem to do that uh four copies of wedding announcement yeah good card i can see that um but yeah, it's it's weird to me that um, it's weird to me that in a post rotation standard where everything got much weaker, you get rid you you trim on what is pretty obviously the best white card in the format. Yeah, but you also you also probably gain a, another best white card in the format, uh, uh, Sarah Paragon. I, I don't think Mono White Wings was ever playing four copies of Wandering Emperor, or maybe, or maybe even like three at the most. Restoration of Agandro is a, definitely an interesting pick, but maybe it is a nod to them playing Spirited Companion and they want to bring it back out of the graveyard because Restoration of Agandro has the same text as Fable of the Mirror Breaker, 
where you can just keep looping it back every single turn, and if it dies, you can just bring it back and it loses the Exile Clause with Sarah Paragon. That's probably why they're playing it in the synergy with that card. It's great synergy. And also, in a couple turns when the Resurrection of Aganjo gets you the 3-4, it makes your deck a little bit better against Meathook Massacre. A little bit hard to cast Meathook Massacre for 4 when they're going to die. So, in in one way, it makes sense. In another way, it doesn't. But maybe, I mean, we, we see here it made the top 8, so it, it, it worked at least for this tournament. Yeah, this is almost like mono white mid range in a way. Now that you're now that you're talking about it, instead of mono mono white aggro, um, you've got the lunark veterans that come back from the bin. Um, you've got the uh, the restoration of Aganjo. You've got the Sarah Paragons uh, wedding announcements. Yeah, this isn't as aggressive as de- as a deck as I thought it was going to be at first glance. It does have a- aggression that is really annoying, though. Like Adeline kills your opponent. Within like three turns, if if it goes unanswered by itself, you you don't need yeah. anything else. So th- this is probably the most value filled white deck that I've seen. And maybe it had to go the va- the value way to beat the red black X decks. And maybe it maybe they played this deck and they were like, I'm losing too much to Meathook Massacre. I need to I need to be better against that and better against the threats in Rakdos. And maybe this deck just ate up Rakdos with a, the amount of wedding announcements that were played and. When you play two different wedding announcements back to back against Rakdos, Rakdos kind of loses. Yeah, this is a cool one. Uh, it it still strikes me as underpowered compared to what the rest of the format is doing, but I, I can see how it made a top eight with a skilled pilot. Yeah, same here. Um, let's see. We have this Esper deck that made the top eight here that we touched on earlier, so we're not going to go too much into detail with this. Uh, the Painlands helped this deck a lot with casting Rafine and everything on curve. This is more of a flash deck though. This build has Fairy Vandal, the two mana one two flash flyer. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Fairy Vandal. Plays that and played Obscura Interceptor that has the connive ability, which also triggers a Fairy Vandal. It has Rafine that also triggers a Fairy Vandal to draw additional cards in a turn. It has four resolute reinforcements. So this is definitely an Esper flash deck that has some elements of sorcerer speed things like wedding announcement, Rafine. Um, and Kaido, but everything else is Flash. We have Wandering Emperor in here as well, uh, and then everything else, like I said before, has Flash. Um, we have two Meat Hook Massacres in here to be better against... Uh, it's just a really good card. You don't, I don't even have to explain you know, Meat Hook Massacre, but uh, what do you think about this Esper build? It's really cool. Um, I think this is... Uh, this speaks to the power of the Painlands. Obviously, uh, this is an ag- this is an aggressive deck. This is one that's trying to get you dead early, get on the board, and then lock you out of ever playing a relevant spell until they kill you. Uh, but they do need to kill you. And in the past, decks like this have really struggled just deploying their threats to the board because casting, you know, Kaito and the Wandering Emperor in the same deck, Obscura Interceptor is a tough one to cast. Rafine is a very hard card to cast. Um, the mana bases just didn't support it. But you can see in this mana base, you have three copies of a Dark Hour Waste, you have three copies of Caves of Koilos. Those are dual lands that always come in untapped, no matter where they fit on your, on your curve. That enables these kinds of strategies to work. I think this is pretty cool. I might play this myself. I mentioned that... I mean, this is as close to a tempo deck that can win as you can possibly think. This is... Remember earlier on in the episode where I was saying that uh, you know blue-white slash red-blue red, tempo was very bad? This was the only one that kind of resembles what that could make, maybe, maybe that, but it, it's, it's like taking a step up 
it's not the, it's not the general tempo list that you would think of play a one drop play a protection spell counter your opponent's spell with a spell pierce this is more doing like three and four mana things and some things are at sorceries I'm looking at the sideboard, and, like, there are three copies of Depopulate, though. So this is, like, a tempo deck that can just pivot into, like, Esper midrange. You can just cut the Fairy Vandals, and all of a sudden, and the Resolute Reinforcements, bring in the Depopulates and the Shieldreds, and all of a sudden you've got the makings of, like, a very decent Esper midrange to control build. Yeah, I, th- I think this did the old switcheroo post-board, not looking at that. And a n- Knockout Blow is a card that is rarely played. But it is really, really good against red creatures. And guess what's a lot of the format? Red creatures. The three mana instant, uh, it costs two less to cast if it targets a red creature. And it deals four damage to it if it's attacking or blocking. And you gain two life. So I think this goes into major control stabilize mode. Yeah, three copies of this in the sideboard is a lot of respect for red. And it looks like it paid off. You know what also it kills, right? Lord of Windgrace. That's true, too. Yeah. Yeah, Lord of Wingus is red and it has four toughness. So, um, yeah, if, if you like tempo decks and you're listening to this, definitely try out this deck. You see it on the screen right now from Lil Pumpkin that played this Esper Rafine flash deck. All right, moving on to a Grixis deck, which is, you know, you guessed it, red-black X deck. Uh, it is playing a lot of the cards that you've seen before. Blood Tithe Harvester, Tenacious Underdog, you know, Cut Down, Infernal Grasp, Bolted Surge, Fable the Mirror Breaker. Liliana of the Veil, this one is probably the only, I think the only non-mono-black deck that played four copies of Liliana of the Veil in these tournaments, and two Meetup Massacres, but we have some blue cards here to mix it up as well. We have four Corpse Appraisers, which is very, very good with Fable of the Mirror Breaker. We have two Evelyn the Covetous, which is the um, five mana two five flash threat that exiles cards off the top. We have um, two Make Disappears, which I think is a little bit low. But maybe just to make disappear is what you need. Uh, two, and then the last blue spell is is two Kaidos. So this is as close to just generic Grixis mid-range as you can get. It's labeled Grixis aggro. It it can kill your opponent pretty quick with a Blood Tithe Harvester on turn two or a Tenacious Underdog into Corpse Appraiser on turn three to really get your opponent dead pretty quickly. Um, this is kind of a mid, one of the mid-range decks that maybe I would play. It just looks like it has a lot of card advantage, a lot of things to do. Uh, what do you think about this deck? Yeah, this Grixis is the deck that I had the most success with playing in Standard the last few weeks. Um, I think I went 5-0 and with a Grixis list, not this one. Uh, it was, my list wasn't playing Evelyn. Um, it was playing Urtize in the main instead. Um, but what impressed me a lot was the, was the Corpse Appraiser playing against... It, it's just such an awesome mid-range card. It's, it's just a good at-rate creature that produces card advantage if there's a creature in the graveyard, which there always is. Um, it's graveyard hate in a format where that is really starting to matter. Uh, Kaito is really, really, really good in mid-range mirrors. Oh, that got three realists. Um, yeah, no, Kaito is uh, Kaito impressed me an awful lot. Um, it's hard to remove a Planeswalker right now. Like, just straight up remove one without a creature. Kaito phases out, which protects him on the turn he comes into play. And you have a bunch of little crappy creatures that can come, come down and protect him later and, and uh, um, attack to turn on his draw spell ability. Four copies of Liliana, quibble with that. I think four is too many. Uh, three, two or three is probably right. But overall, I think this deck is the way to go. Particularly because um, when you have mid-range mirrors, having access to blue is just so good. 
Um, and you can see the stack is only running one copy of negate in, in the uh, in the sideboard. I think like if you just add a cup a few copies of disdainful stroke, you're going to be in great shape against the other mid range decks in the meta. Yeah, uh, this deck will feast on mono black. Will feast on big big control decks of the bigger mid range decks because the make disappear negate. Uh, the counter spells that blue provides you, the card advantage that blue, blue that blue provides you, is um, going to make you in. It's going to get you into positions where you're in a mid range mirror, but you're countering this their spells and your spells are resolving. So that's a really good spot to be in as the Grixis player. Also, Corpse Appraiser, the Graveyard Exile that you mentioned, exiles Tenacious Underdog, exiles Squee from the Graveyard. It, it, it it's not just oh exile a creature. It's like a really relevant ability. And it also gets you a card and mills the rest of the cards so that you can also utilize them out of your own graveyard as well. Like, there's four Tenacious Underdogs in this deck, and that has to be a nod to Corpse Appraiser. Because you can just... It's it's so good to exile your opponent's thing. You get a 3-3. You get a card off Corpse Appraiser, and you mill an underdog. It's like... It's almost a 4-for-1, right? I lost track. That's how good it is. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I, th I think I lost track too. But anyways, uh, this does have Urtai resurrected in the sideboard. So uh, it does board that in. One, one of, It is the Demir 4-mana flash card that can either kill a thing and your opponent draws a card or stop in... Uh, it can either counter a spell and your opponent draws a card or you can counter your own triggers and spells and, and, and creatures to draw a card yourself. Very, very good flash card. But I do like this Grixis deck a lot. Now, we have two other Rakdos decks listed as Rakdos Aggro, but um, I believe they are more mid-range decks. There's a bunch of Graveyard Trespassers, Shieldreds, four Lilianas in this deck as well, uh, four Fable of the Mirror Breakers. This, one of them has Evolved Sleeper, and then one of them has Braids, Felstinger, and Balduvian Atrocity. This is more of a, a sacrifice -y deck as well. This one has four Voldaren Epicures, and it really wants to utilize Braid's Arisen Nightmare. Uh, and this is the only Rakdos Anvil deck that made a top eight, which is the, one of the reasons why I thought this was on the downswing and, and what's not working. But this specific build, uh, maybe you might choose to go to if you want to play Rakdos Sacrifice. This one, uh, Balduvian Atrocity, is a three mana, two, three menace creature with Kicker for one red. That uh, it says when it enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, return a creature with mana value three, three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So you can bring your Blood Tide Harvester back, it gets haste, and then you can sacrifice Blood Tide Harvester to kill something. Really strong. You can bring your Braids back with Balduvian Atrocity, and uh, a Braid, I mean, and Braids will come into play, attack or not attack, and then at the end step, trigger its ability even though it's going to die. Um, and then this doesn't say another creature you control. So you can Balduvian Atrocity back Braids and then sacrifice the Braids in, in, even though it's going to die anyway and get that trigger. Uh, Felstinger, which I guess is this deck's version of Deadly Dispute now. Sacrifice a creature, then you draw two cards and lose two life. And you're going to be sacrificing Voldaren Epicure and Virus Beetle and killing your opponent with, um, with Oni Cult, Anvil, Burn Damage, a bunch of 1-1s, a bunch of cards that are kind of hard to deal with, and two copies of Shield with the Apocalypse. What do you think about this version of Rakdos Sacrifice? Yeah, losing Deadly Dispute hurt. Um, there's really no way around that. Looking at this deck, um, the lack of card advantage really does stand out. Relying on Fell Stinger. Um, 
Yeah. A lot of a, relying on Felstinger to draw you cards is not really where you want to be. Um, and I look at these Oni called anvils and, and I'm thinking, I don't know that these are ever going to produce a ton of value. Um, you're making some blood off the Blood Tithe Harvester, yes. Um, you're making, like, the Virus Beater, Beetle is itself an artifact, so there's that. But other than that, there's not really a whole lot of artifact generation going on. And there's no loop, importantly. Uh, there, there's no, like, great uh, cat oven kind of effect here that, that I'm excited to play. I think, like, I think it's a little bit sneaky, the amount of artifacts this has. There's Oni Cult Anvil, of course, itself is an artifact. Fable the Mirror Breaker uh, makes treasure tokens. Blood Tithe Harvester makes blood tokens. And also Voldaren Epicure makes blood tokens. And Virus Beetle is an artifact itself. So there's quite a bit of artifacts, but just not... It just it doesn't have the experimental synthesizer in here that you're used to seeing, right? Yeah. Uh, in here, which which uh, is a little bit of card advantage. So it's kind of trading the synthesizers with like Braids and Felstinger. Um, I would say I'm not sure if it's good enough, but it did top eight this tournament. Uh, it it does have just really in general really good cards in it, like Blood Tithe Harvester and Fable the Mirror Breaker, and maybe it just burned your burned their opponents out with Shieldred and a bunch of the other ways that they can burn their opponent. It also does a good job at playing against Liliana of the Veil and Mitok Massacre because, not Mitok Massacre, Liliana of the Veil and uh, Invoke Despair because Invoke Despair can't make your opponent sacrifice artifacts specifically, so. Uh, it might have had a lot of wins just by burning your opponent out, and I can see this deck winning that way. This deck burns a lot. There, there's a it braids deals two damage every turn if you can't sacrifice it either. So, um, I, I wouldn't say this is like the best, you know, the best deck in the format or anything, but it's probably one of the best builds of this deck that you can make. So, if you are interested in this archetype, definitely check this build out. Uh, the next Rakdos Aggro deck is. More of a mid-range style has the underdogs in there, harvesters, or a chest pass or shieldred, like we're used to seeing in these Rakdos decks. And I'm just gonna skip over the fact that all these decks have these cards from now on because we have two more tournaments to go to and not that much time. But let's talk about what is different with these decks. There is cut down and there is invoke despair. The card that stands out to me from this last Rakdos deck is Evolved Sleeper, and this is a card that I that I played with in the mono black deck that I was really impressed with. This one drop can draw you so many cards. It is, you have to deal with this, and it requires removal, and it can get out of range of cutdown. So you have to you have to draw cutdown pretty quick if you're playing against this card, and uh, this card is the, if you're listening here on the podcast and not watching it on YouTube, it's a one mana, one one. You can pay a black to have it become a human cleric. That's a two two. You can pay one and a black. If it's already a cleric, it becomes a three three. Uh, with Death Touch, I believe so. And then uh, you can pay one and double black if it's Phyrexian. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Then you draw a card and lose a life. So you can keep paying the three over and over again to keep buffing this and drawing more cards and more cards and more cards. So very strong one drop. And I, I would assume that this card put in a lot of work. What do you think of about this card? Yeah, I think this card is really cool. Um, one thing that stands out about this format is that there are just not a lot of very good one drops, and this one I think is. The other thing is that it's very nice in these kinds of formats to have a one drop that you're excited to play on turn one, and that you're not super upset to be top decking in the late game. So you play Evolved Sleeper on one, you can beat down your opponent with it. 
you're both hellbent you draw evolved sleeper all right pump a bunch of mana into it all at once keep get drawing your cards and have like a five five beater that's just beating the crap out of your opponent i think this card's pretty exciting i i was surprised not to see more of it honestly when i was looking at these lists when you're both hellbent and you have like eight or nine mana this card wins you the game on the spot your opponent can't come back yeah. from this unless they draw a rule spell like on their next turn which is which is a really strong spot to be in from your one drop creature so really impressed with that um Overall, there's one, two, three, four, five out of the top eight that are black X decks that are playing almost the same cards. So we're going to go ahead and move on to the other two tournaments. We're going to gloss over those. There's a couple decks I want to go over with you, but most of them are going to see a lot of the same. Um, number one, first place, Mardu Midrange. This is another black X midrange deck. The cards that this deck is playing that the other ones aren't is one Archangel of Wrath, which is the Siege Rhino on an Angel. That is a 3-4 life oh, yeah. which is really strong. Uh, we have Henrika Dumnathi, which is you might be already familiar with if you've seen the last standard. The flip card that turns into a 3-4 lifelink flyer. Liaza Forgotten Archangel, which is a very, very powerful card. The 5-mana 4-5 that flying lifelink, that whenever th when something dies, your, that your opponent's control gets exiled. And then when your things die, they get exiled and come back to your hand. So it's a lot of value there. And two more copies of Sarah Paragon that we've already talked about. Three Spirited Companions, one Tenacious Underdog, and a slew of other removal spells. Um, there's a lot of Planeswalkers and a lot of enchantments in this deck. Two Wandering Emperors, one Elspeth Resplendent. Uh, it's got four Wedding Announcements, three Meat Hooks, a Reckoner Bankbuster, and four Fable of the Mirror. Uh, what do you think about this Mardu list? It's, it's something that I would definitely play, but what do you think about it? One's cool. Like, we've seen a lot of these mid-range decks that are just, that the, the payoff is like Shieldred or, you know, like some four or five mana black or red creature. But this one, I kind of like that it's just going, swinging for the fences with these giant angels that, um, you know, come to think of it, a lot of a lot of the creatures in the uh, in the format right now can't block flyers and certainly can't block big ones. Um, this deck can just push through a bunch of sneaky damage. Um, judge call. Does Liesa override the um, the uh, blitz trigger from Tenacious Underdog? Like, if Tenacious Underdog dies, does it go back to your to your hand? Do you, do you still draw the card? Does it, whenever another non-token creature you control dies, return it to your understand at the beginning of the next end step? So it will die, you will draw the card, and then it will come back to your hand. What? I see. Okay, I misread it. Okay, yeah, sure. So, um, yeah. yeah. This deck definitely will put your opponent in fits if they if they aren't running, like, four Infernal Grass from their deck. Everything has a ton of toughness. Blaze has five toughness. Sarah Paragon, four toughness. Henrika, four toughness on the flip side. Uh, Archangel of Wrath, four toughness. And a lot of flyers. So that's something that you typically, typically see out of, like, a lot of mid-range decks is just a lot of creatures that are just a lot of value. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's true. Uh, and that came in first place, so you best believe I'll be playing it. Um, number two is the only Gruul deck that made a top eight, I believe. This is playing four Senate Pack Leader, two Halana and Elena, four Kessig Naturalist, two Outline Liberator, four Reckless Stormseeker, one Squee Dubious Monarch, two Thundering Raiju, four Tovalar Dire Overlord, one Voltal Arsonist, and four Yavimaya Iconoclast. And this goes along with what I was saying before. There's no Quirion Beast Caller in this deck. And it is a Gruul Agro deck that got second place. 
It's playing Yavamaya Iconoclast instead as a 2-mana 3-2, and then you can kick it to make like a haste bone crusher giant. It just becomes a 4-3 trample haste. And it, it has like a cool. Strangle, a Temio Safekeeping, a couple Arlen Pax Hope, a couple Jaya Fiery Negotiated that we've already talked about, and then four Kumano Faces Kakazan. So, I mean, what do you think about this Gruul deck? Yeah, this feels a lot like the uh, old Gruul Werewolves lists from like early AFR standards that didn't quite make the cut. Um, Ascendant Pack Leader is an excellent one drop. It terrorized standard for a while before the Epiphany ban. Uh, Reckless Stormseeker, outstanding. Uh, Thundering Raiju um, does get quite a bit of payoff, I think, from uh, Helena and Elena putting counters on things. Uh, Reckless Stormseeker, I think, counts as modifying a creature as well, giving it the plus one, plus O. Tovalar Dire Overlord um, is really good card advantage. Uh, if, you're, if you hit your opponent with a werewolf with, with that in play, it feels like you're way behind already. I think this deck's pretty cool. Um, The... Modify, it counts as equipment, or as you control, and counters. So it doesn't actually affect plus one, plus O ability like that. But one okay. one problem I have with this is that Cutdown kills almost everything in this deck. Uh, Reckless Stormseeker, it kills. Lana and Elena, it kills. So right away, you cast your three drop, it gets, it gets one for one by a one drop. So you're losing massive tempo. Um, Tobalar Dire Overlord does dodge this. But everything else dies to it. Even if you kick Yavamai Iconoclast, the way that's worded, is when it enters the battlefield, it gets the count, it gets the plus one, plus one, and haste. So it on the trigger of Yavamaya Iconoclast, even when you pump four mana into this, or three mana into this, I should say, it gets killed by cutdown. Um there's when if you can resolve Holana and Elena and it not get cut down and you start putting counters on things, then you can start winning the game and get through Meetup Massacres and things like that. But I think the presence of every single black deck in the format playing four copies of Cutdown, if at least three, this it might just push this deck out, which is probably only why which is probably why you only see one of these decks in the top eight in three tournaments combined. Yeah, I mean what you described there applies to just about every aggro deck you could possibly build, right? Like no aggro deck wants to play zero creatures that get hit by cutdown. And this one, I think, has a pretty decent proportion of ones of cards that don't get hit by cutdown, too. I, I don't think I'd want to go any... I, I don't know how many cards that get hit by cutdown that I would want to cut, in other words. Is that pun intended? No, but... <laughs> but I'll take it. All right. Um, we're going to move on to the next one. It's a mono-white control list, and this is very interesting. It's playing... Anointed Peacekeeper, Ao the Dawn Sky, Sanctuary Warden, and Sarah Paragon. And it's just playing a whole bunch of other uh, removal spells and devalue enchantments and planeswalkers. We have Banishing Slash. It's a two mana double white sorcery. Destroy up to one target artifact, enchantment, or tapped creature. Then, if you control an artifact and an enchantment, make a 2 2 white samurai with vigilance. It's playing three of these. That is, that is absolutely, uh, I don't know, mind-boggling to me. I, I've never heard of this card before now, and there's three of it in the top eight deck, which is pretty cool. There's two Destroy Evil, which is, I think, the new Valorous Stance-like card in the format. You can destroy a creature with toughness four or greater, um, which is basically Shieldred, and then destroy an enchantment, and enchantments are everywhere. Wedding Announcement, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, 
they're all here in this format, and this card I think has pretty well positioned. One Fateful Absence, three March of Otherworldly Light, and one Vanquish the Horde, which you hardly ever see play. But this card is a 8-mana sweeper that costs one less to cast for each creature on the battlefield. We have 17 other spells, which are four copies of Reckoner Bankbuster, four wow. copies of Restoration of Agandro, four copies of Wedding Announcement, four copies of Wandering Emperor, and one Unlicensed Hearse in the main deck. This is a an amalgamation of a white deck. I mean, what do you think of this deck? This deck is cool. Um, it's... I don't know what you get really here from playing mono white instead of playing blue white um, is my biggest complaint about it. But what it is, it's clear what the deck is trying to do. Uh, it's trying to play big bodies that want to die and then it kills everything on the board. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I don't think it's really much harder than that, right? Like you put AO into play, um, you cast Vanquish the Horde uh, or Destroy Evil or Banishing Slash. You can even target your own creatures with those things. Then they die, and you put a bunch of uh, powerful or value enchantments into play off of that. You get your wedding announcements. You've got your uh, Reckoner Bankbusters. I mean, it, it does the deck does one thing and apparently does it well if it plays third in the tournament. I think it doesn't play blue because it never doesn't tap out. Like, it always yeah, taps I've... out. Yeah, which seems bad to me. I, I, I think <laughs> that you probably don't want to always be tapping out in your control deck. Um, this deck probably struggles against against Planeswalkers. There's like one copy of Fateful Absence, uh, and otherwise you need to attack the Planeswalkers down, which isn't always the easiest thing to do. Yeah, I would, say, I would think that this card would get annihilated by Liliana of the Veil. But also, I mean, when you think about it, there's there's four wedding announcements in here, so if you get one of those down, you're you're in good shape against the Liliana, or maybe a Wandering Emperor that can keep making uh, tokens. But I mean, other than that. Um, I mean, it's definitely interesting, and maybe something I'll try once, but I, I'm just the type of person that just, like, wants to splash a color. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Yeah, I, I think you can afford to, and I think you, you ought to. Like, I, I think blue is about to be very good, um, in this meta. Um, alright, let's move on to the next decks, and, um, yeah, Rakdos, Rakdos midrange, Grixis midrange, Jun midrange, Mardu midrange, and Rakdos midrange are the next decks in this tournament, and, uh, already talked a lot about those anyway and they're pretty much all the same deck so we're gonna move on to the last tournament and this is the standard challenge for magic online right we have yeah, first right. placed esper rafine as another esper deck like we've been saying um second place invoke justice reanimator um and then we're gonna have a slew of mono blacks third place mono black control fourth place mono black control fifth place mono white control Sixth place, mono black control, and then seventh and eighth is uh, a Rakdos mid range and a Jun mid range. So as you can see, there's a theme here. Black mana might be good. Uh, let's talk about this Esper Rafine deck and see if it's different than the last Esper deck we talked about, which is the Flash deck. This one is not a Flash deck. It has four copies of AO the Dawn Sky. See, van once Vanishing Verse leaves the format, people are just going with the AOs and droves. We have uh, two Evolved Sleepers, four Rafines. Two Resolute Reinforcements, two Sarah Paragon, one Shieldred, and one Tenacious Underdog. Got some removal spells and Cut Down, Disdainful Stroke, um, Infer Infernal Grasp, Make Disappear. So, Disdainful Stroke, one Disdainful Stroke, two Make Disappear as the counter spells in this deck. And then 11 other cards Kaido, 
Liliana of the Vale, Reckoner Bankbuster, Meetup Massacre, Wandering Emperor, and Wedding Announcement. Honestly, with these decks that we've been going over, it just seems like a permanent fest. Like, everything's a permanent. Everything's an enchantment or a planeswalker or a creature, and you don't, you don't have much of anything else. The amount of instants and sorceries are, like, at an all-time low, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, because so many of these permanents do such a great job of replacing themselves and affecting the board. Um, whereas instant sorceries mostly just replace themselves and don't affect the board all that much. Um, like AO demands an answer. If they if they do answer it, you get your value right away. If they don't answer it, it just beats them. It beats down your opponent. The same is true for Rafine. The same is true for uh, Tenacious Underdog. The same is true for a lot of these cards. Um, it's one of the things that makes control so difficult to play right now because the value is just is just everywhere. And if one thing touches the board that you weren't prepared for, you're already behind. I think that's why what we're going to see more and more copies of Farewell. Imagine you're imagine you're this Esper opponent, and you see a Reckoner Bankbuster, and a Meathook Massacre, and a Wandering Emperor, and a Wedding Announcement, and uh, a Sarah Paragon that brought something back. Maybe they brought like a Evolve Sleeper back from the graveyard. Maybe they had an AO on board. Maybe there's a Rafine there, right? And all of these things are generating massive value while they're on the board. And then you farewell them, and then they're left with like a Wandering Emperor. And it exiles everything. Yeah, I, I think as the formats go along and as these mid-range decks start becoming even more powerful, everything is a two-for-one, as we talked about in the beginning of the episode. Um, you're going to need something to just reset everything, and I think Farewell is just a perfect answer. Yep, I think Liliana does a pretty good job against Farewell. Um, it's a six-mana card. Um, by turn six, a lot of the time, Liliana's going to have your opponent hellbent, so uh, that's that can be one way to answer it. You've got a bunch of copies of Duress, of course, and uh, two copies of Make Disappear and a Stroke. Um, so you you have defenses against that, but uh, I definitely see what you're saying. Um, moving on to the second deck list that got second place here is the Invoke Justice Vanimator deck. This is a green-white deck, I believe. Or it's a red, red-green-white deck. The only green spell being Titan of Industry. And, I, and every single card in this deck is a four of. Yeah. This person Look has a that. game plan and they're sticking freaking to it. Um That it, is clean. Yeah, it's so clean. There's only one one of in this entire 75, and it's one Jaya Fiery Negotiator in the sideboard, and then like a one of like lands, Iganjo and Sokin Zan, and then that's it. The one drops. Uh for for the one ofs. Four Sanctuary Warden, four Spirited Companion, four Titan of Industry, four Cathartic Pyre, four Invoke Justice. Four Fable the Mirror Breaker, four Elder Dragon War, which is the one that deals two damage to everything, uh, and it can find your combo pieces, discard your Titan of Industry, and also make a four-four dragon. So really good for this deck. Four Restoration of Aganjo, four Wandering Emperor, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and just think about what that says about the cards Wandering Emperor and Fable of the Mirror Breaker that this deck placed second overall in the standard challenge because without those two cards this deck effectively spins its wheels and does nothing until turn five at the earliest um that's not something you can usually afford to do but four copies of fable and four copies of wandering emperor are just so good at producing value and stabilizing the board that you can get away with it with something like this yeah there's no sweepers 
there's no like one mana interaction. There's there's just four cathartic pyres that can maybe kill your opponent's thing, maybe. Like how do, I mean, you look at this deck at first glance and you're like, how did this deck win? Uh and then you realize that Sanctuary Warden and Titan of Industry are that good of cards as well. When they enter the battlefield, they have a really good effect, and also they're just huge. One's like a five-five, um, and five-five in like, and it has a, a indestructible counter on it, whatever you call those. The shield counter it makes a one-one. Mm -hmm. It draws a card. Titan of Industry does way too many things. Like once you get the stuff out, you basically just can't lose the game. So I I guess this is this deck says hold on, hold on for a second until I get my Titan of Industry. You just wait, and then they win the game. And God forbid the opponent plays on licensers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then you can win with Wandering Emperor and Elder Dragon War and maybe Fable, Fable of the Mirror Breaker if you're lucky. Maybe hard cast a yeah. Sanctuary Warden. That's what I'm saying, right? Like, if you can't make the Invoke Justice plan work or it takes too long uh, to make it happen, Wandering Emperor and Fable of the Mirror Breaker were still good enough to get this to second place in the standard challenge. Which is That's saying insane. a lot. Yeah. Uh, we, we do have two copies of Squee Dubious Monarch in the sideboard. One of the other reasons why I wanted to bring up Squee is that it's just really good against the things that are good against this deck, which is Liliana of the Veil and Invoke Despair. Uh, we it's so funny to me to see yeah. uh, uh, Invoke Justice, which has four white pips, and four Titan of Industry, which has three <laughs> green pips in the same deck. Like, it's nothing. <laughs> but Yeah, I mean, you know what solves everything? Fable of the Mirror Breaker. It makes every deck yes. better. Uh, all right, now moving on to the mono black control. This is like the only time I'm going to cover mono black because there's three more of these. We have um, concealing curtains, evolve sleeper, graveyard trespasser, shield, red, and tenacious underdog as the creatures. Instance are instance and sorceries, cut down, infernal grasp, four invoke despair, and a soul transfer. And the other spells are three record or bank buster, two soar on the mirthless, and three meat hook massacre. This is as mono black as mono black gets, um, and then. Oops, everything in this deck is a good card. Like, every card. I mean, I guess besides Concealing Curtains, but, I mean, it could come up. It's a 3-4 for one. Yeah. The uh, the main problem you tend to run into with these kinds of mono-black decks is the um, lack of card advantage. Uh, it's pretty tough to draw cards in these colors, or in this color, I guess. Invoke Despair will draw you cards by the time you get to cast it, but you have to find it, and that's not always easy to do with uh, with only four copies in the deck. Uh, Reckoner Bankbuster is like probably the glue that Loki holds this deck together. I, I, like look at look at the look at the mana base. There there's four copies of Field of Rune, one Takanuma, and everything else is a basic swamp. There are 21 cards that are just swamps and do nothing else. Um, yeah, we really miss those man lands a lot. Yeah, the the, the creature lands are really really good. Um. I, I think there's. I think this is sneaky card advantage. There's more card advantage than meets the eye. Don't forget, there's four evolved sleepers in this deck. Uh, Graveyard trespasser. Your opponent has to discard a card to deal with this. Um, interesting. Interestingly, there's no Liliana the Veil in this mono black deck. Yeah. Um, we also have uh, Tenacious Underdog that keeps coming back out of the graveyard. There's a lot of card advantage there. And then Invoke Despair almost always draws two cards. Your opponent like just has a creature. Um, it kills their. Your opponent's Planeswalkers and Enchantments, which usually Mono Black can never deal with. I guess I can deal with Planeswalkers more than Enchantments can. More than Enchantments, but uh, Invoke Despair is really, really strong. Um, 
And also this has Deceptive Reach too. Not only does Graveyard Trespasser uh, drain your opponent, but so does Shieldred um, drain your opponent as well. Sword on the Mirthless creates two, three flyers, and Invoke Despair deals six damage. Sometimes you just win the game because you cast Invoke Despair. Your opponent's like, oh wait, I need to fill up the board so I don't die to another Invoke Despair. Then they cast it again. And then you're like, wait a second, I need to fill up the board again so my opponent doesn't kill me with Invoke Despair. And then you can't, and then you die to Invoke Despair. I promise you it happens. Every time, Invoke Despair draws into Invoke Despair. Maybe this is just like an anecdotal thing, but it just happens. I promise you it happens. The, how did all three of these mono-black control decks with, um, top 8 the standard tournament on Magic Online? It's because Invoke Despair draws into more copies of Invoke Despair, and then you die. Yeah, I play this deck, and I draw 10 swamps and die. Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely not that. You, you have not... Invoke Despair, just, you need to just pray to the mono-black gods, uh, and then Invoke Despair will treat you. And Invoke Despair Maybe did treat these three players better because there's three copies of mono-black in the top eight. All right, moving on to the next deck that we're going to talk about is mono-white control. Now, we already talked about mono-white control, but this one's a little bit different. It's, it says control, but there's honestly a bunch of creatures. There's four Guardian of Nubinalia, Discards a card, again indestructible. Rafine's Informant, which draws a card and discards a card. Sanctuary Warden, Sigardian Savior, four copies of it, four Spirited Companion, and this is another Invoke Justice deck. What they're doing is they have general aggressive threats anyway, like Guardian of Nubinalia and Rafine's Informant, but they're also incidental discard. Discard Sanctuary Warden and Sigardian Savior. To have your Sigardian Savior revived from Invoke Justice, and then Sigardian Saver revives the Sanctuary Warden. <laughs> Wait, no, it doesn't. It, it revives the Spirit wow. of Companion, or the Guardian of Benalia, or the Rafine's Informant. So, it plays a 12 two-mana creatures to bring back with the Guardian Savior, and just four Sanctuary Wardens, and just hope that the Graveyard Invoke Justice plan, or the in-general aggro plan, wins the game. Which is similar to the other Invoke Justice deck that we just saw before that got second place. The other spells in this deck are two Record or Bankbuster, one Celestis, four Restoration of Agandro, four Wandering Emperor, and one Wedding Announcement. Um, what do you think of this deck? It's a little bit similar, from, similar to the other one, but just like mono white. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, this one's pretty cool. Um, I, I like having the early aggressive threats to just incidentally fill your graveyard so that you're not all in on the combo. Um, the only other thing I want to call out, so we've, uh, since we've mostly, I think, talked about Invoke Justice so far, um, is the synergy between Celestis, Restoration of Aganjo, and Invoke Justice. Um, Restoration of Aganjo and Celestis, there are five of those cards in the deck, and they all ramp you into Invoke Justice a turn early. Restoration of Aganjo in particular fills the graveyard, and so does the Celestis if uh, you flip from day to night or vice versa. Um, I think this, the, the core of those three cards is pretty strong. It just kind of sucks that the best thing you can realistically get back is a Sanctuary Warden. Um, which I don't think is quite powerful enough, um, but I, mean, I, I could be wrong. I think it's a card that dodges a lot of the removal, just like Shieldred does. Having five toughness is really good. Um, dodging Infernal Grasp with having the shield counter is really good. It makes a 1-1 and draws a card as soon as it enters the battlefield and when it attacks, which is also really good. Um, making the 1-1 is more important than, you, than you'd think because it dodges Invoke Despair and the Liana of the Veil's Minus. So there's a lot of things that this deck does that don't really meet the eye, but uh, I, I mean, I think it's very interesting, that's for sure. It's it's, it's yeah. funny because it's not the only mono-white deck that we've seen in these top eights, so if you want to play a mono-white 
mid-range slash control deck, um, you know, this is probably the format for you as of right now until the meta changes to more blue-based decks, which I think it will, and that might be something we talk about on the next week's part. For now, these tap-out, play-huge-spells decks have been working out. Um, let's see. Um, the other decks in this top eight of this tournament here in Magic Online is Rakdos Control, which is Rakdos Midrange, basically. Plays all the cards that we've already talked about. Um, the only difference being three Evolve Sleeper in this deck, and also two main deck copies of a Braid, and two main deck copies of Flame Bless Bolt, which I think will be played a lot more um, going into the next week, because it exiles Underdog. Now, this 8th place gen list, this the only thing this deck plays that is different is the only deck playing four copies of Soul of Wind Grace. That's how good the card is. And also... The only deck playing main deck Riveteer's Charm and main deck Unleashed Inferno. We've seen those cards in the sideboard, but this one's main decking them. And this one also is main decking three copies of Diagraph Rebirth, which is a reanimate spell that becomes cheaper with how many creatures die this turn. So it, it actually pairs really well with cards like Meat Hook Massacre. But what's interesting about this deck is there's actually no Meat Hook Massacres in this deck at all. They're the only enchantment is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Doesn't even have them in the sideboard. There is two Toxrills um, as like the only kind of pseudo sweeper in this entire deck. I'm not sure how that worked out for them. Maybe they just didn't play against a lot of things that Meat Hook Massacre would be good against, which I can't really imagine. But what do you think about this deck as we close? Yeah, this deck is. Um kind of all in on the reanimator aspect um right like the the non reanimation threats are not super great um you're uh, so you're not playing for uh, you're not really hoping to be hard casting titan of industry in this deck right you really want to be reanimating it i do think that um the main deck unleash the inferno can catch a lot of people off guard it's a relatively clean answer to fable of the mirror breaker we've seen a ton of um Wedding announcement decks uh, that Unleashed Inferno is also quite good against. Uh, Soul of Wind Grace is also just a hell of a card. Um, and Fable of the Mirror Breaker. You're playing four copies of that. You can make a top eight. That's true. Well, those are the three tournaments we wanted to go over with you. Let's go ahead and go to the end step. And I just want to say for all of, all of you folks that have listened to this podcast, thank you so much for the time that you've taken to listen to us. I know it's only the second uh, episode that we've done so far but if you got any value from this whatsoever please let us know you can find airball at airball mpg on twitter that is right twitter twitch and youtube yep twitter twitch and youtube airball mpg please let us know if you got any value out of this whatsoever you can find me at the one jame on twitter one jame on twitch and uh the one jame on youtube as well thank you so much for hanging out with us subscribe to the channel if you want to see more of this also to the YouTube channel, and um, and we also have a channel that we just created on Twitter as well. It is uh, it is at nuts and bolts pod on Twitter. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time, and I'll see you in the top eight. See you, everyone.